Happy Spring Forward Day. Uh, one of my, I know one of my least favorite days of the year right here. It's also one of your least favorite days of the year. Let me tell you how I know. Uh, aside from Spring Break Travelers, every year there's a 10 to 15 percent attendance shift from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. for one day only. And so I get it. My name is Brandon. Uh, we're going through a series in the Gospel of Luke. Luke zeroes in on the life and the teaching and the ministry of Jesus. To date, uh, Jesus, uh, for the first part of his gospel, focuses in on uh, the identity of who Jesus is. In the last couple of weeks, we said we hit a, a kind of pivot point in the gospel of Luke, where he pivots from zeroing in on the identity of Jesus to following Jesus as he journeys his way to the cross. And in this journey, the focus becomes, what does it mean to follow him? What does it look like to follow him? What, what are the day-to-day implications Jesus' life and ministry and lordship and kingdom and all of it on my life. And a few weeks ago, um, we said Jesus is hitting and about to hit some really sober and some serious topics, and they're going to be weighty. And here's another one. The topic Jesus hits on today, what it is that he has to say in the scriptures to us today, is what someone called a hidden cancer hidden cancer. Let me explain that. Here's what I mean. All all cancer at its root is essentially the same. It's an abnormality of human cells, but not all cancers are the same. Some cancers form tumors on the outside. They're external growing tumors. I had one of those. Some, some however, are on the inside. You don't see them, but it doesn't mean they're not there. You don't see them as they slowly grow on the inside of your body, and these are often the most dangerous because we don't recognize them until it's too late. We don't see them until the diagnosis is a stage three, stage four diagnosis. We don't see them until they have spread and taken over the entirety of our body. It is one of these hidden cancers, one of these hard to find, hard to see cancers that Jesus is talking about today. And what Jesus wants today is he wants to root it out of some of you. For some of us, the words of Jesus is him trying to save your life today. For some, it's preventative maintenance. For some, this is going to be a wellness check. This is Jesus giving some guardrails on how to keep that cancer out of your life. a wellness check or rooting out the existing cancer today, this is Jesus trying to save you. Save you from the destructive path that is this hidden, internal, hard-to-find, hard-to-see, life-ruining cancer. So this is what we're going to do. Um, we're going to ask three questions of our text. Here they are. Of this cancer, what is it? What are its symptoms? And what do we do about it? What is it? What are its symptoms? What do we do about it? And so let's go verse 13. Right out the gate. Now someone in the crowd said to him, him is Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So here's the scene. Jesus is walking along. He's got this large crowd starting to follow him. And one of them jumps out and says, hey, teacher, 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Split the inheritance with me. Now, almost certainly, this is a younger brother, unhappy with the split, wanting Jesus to step in and to say, um, tell my older brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is a younger brother saying there is a lack of equity and a lack of fairness, which means that we're dealing with a family situation here. So Jesus knows this is a family being torn apart, torn apart by a desire for money and possessions, that the desire for a split in the cash is destroying relationships in a family. Likely we've all seen this. If we haven't seen it firsthand, we've heard stories of it. Parents pass away, pass down the money, and then there is a rift and a split in brothers and sisters and siblings over how to divide the inheritance. It's not fair. It's not fair. Jesus, it's not fair what's happening. Tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. So how does Jesus respond? But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus' response is no. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. But I will give you a warning well, I'm not going to enter into this family situation and address your brother. I am going to give you a warning. Be on guard against all greed. The word covetousness here is just it's the word for greed. Be on guard against all greed. But there is a word that Jesus uses that I do not want us to miss. It's not the word greed, although we can't miss that one. It's a three-letter word, the word all. All. Be on guard against all greed. This word all, it has a depth to it and a breadth to it. The depth of the word, root out any and all, even the smallest amount of greed. Be on guard against even the smallest amount of greed in your life and root it out because even the smallest amount can take over your life like a minor cancer on the inside that you just don't find in time. It can slowly, slowly, slowly take over your life. And listen, it's hard to see when that happens. It's hard to see, not just because it's internal, but because the shifts are microscopic, right? To be on guard against all greed is a difficult thing to do because um, sometimes greed operates like this. Hidden kernel, there's a seedbed, a nugget form in your life, and you don't see it. You don't address it, but it just sits there in kernel form. It doesn't really move, doesn't really grow, doesn't expand, doesn't really do much, but it's there, and then it metastasizes, and then one day, pff, explodes, and it's all over your body. That does happen. It's not the most common way that it happens, though. The most common way greed slowly takes over your life is through incremental decisions that you make. Just incremental shifts, incremental giving myself, incremental, oh, I, incremental, oh, I need that. And I need that. Well, okay, but I need that. Unchecked, I need that in my life. Go from here to here 
to here. See, if we go from here to here, it's easy to see, but when we go here to here to here, it's hard to see. It's hard to recognize what's happening. Jesus is saying, read all of it, any amount of it. But there's also a breadth to it. See, greed takes on a variety of forms in our life. Um, I, I've shared this with you guys before, uh, but uh, we, we moved from Dallas, to, or from Houston, we moved to Dallas, um, uh, and then we came back for sojourn uh, almost five years ago. July 1 will be five years. Uh, when we lived in Dallas, and in, in for my life before that, no one would have ever said, and I would not have said to you, I, I have any amount of greed in my life. Very generous, always been. Um, but, but then we moved back to Houston. And when we moved back to Houston, we moved into the Heights. And, and all of a sudden, we went from this life where everybody's life looked like ours, everybody's income looked like ours, everybody's houses looked like ours, to a setting where, all, where most of our friends lived in houses that did not look like ours, and most of our friends' incomes were not what ours were. And all of a sudden, this discontentment started to show up in my life. This was just another form of the same root issue. All greed, all takes on a variety of forms. Sometimes it takes on the form of, I don't have enough money, I need more money. I need more money. It's not fair that that person makes what they make, and I make what I make, and I want that income. Sometimes it takes on the form of, I need a fourth bedroom. I need a yard. Sometimes it takes on the form of an unchecked, I need a nicer house. I need, and I use the house illustration because that was mine. Not projecting that on you. It takes on the form of an unchecked, I need. So here is Jesus' point. Greed is a hidden cancer. It is a spiritual cancer that you can't see. How do I know it's hidden? I'm going to give you two, two qualifiers, two reasons why uh, I, I want to identify this as a hidden, hard-to-see, unseen cancer. Uh, one is from the text. One, the way that Jesus interacts with this man from the crowd, the man who says, hey, Jesus, deal with my inheritance problem. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to deal with your greed problem. The man says, I have a lack of equity in my life. There is a lack of fairness. And to be fair to the man, he has watched Jesus' life. He has watched his ministry. He has heard his teaching. He has heard Jesus be the guy for the, um, on the side of those who are marginalized and taken advantage of. And he's going, I'm one of the ones being taken advantage of. Jesus, come make it right. He says, I've got an equity of fairness problem in my life. And Jesus interacts with that as a greed problem. But two is experience. Um, I, I heard or read Tim Keller uh, say this. Tim Keller is a retired pastor from New York. He's in his 60s now. He said, in all of my years of pastoral ministry, I had a lot of people come to me and say I struggle with sex. I've never had anybody come to me and say I struggle with greed. I'm in my 40s. I am not in my 60s. But I'll tell you this. 40 years, uh, not 40 years of pastoring. That's what I was about to say. Um, I was preaching when I was two. It was a thing. Uh, 20 years of being a Christian. 15 years of serving the church in a variety of forms. I have had people come to me 
countless number of times and say, hey, I struggle with sex, I struggle with porn, I struggle with um, a, a, a pill addiction, I, I struggle with, you fill in the blank, I have never had anyone come to me and say, man, I'm really struggling with money right now. I'm really struggling with greed right now. It has never happened. I've never had it. Greed is a hidden cancer that he's speaking of then and now. It's a cancer that comes with symptoms. So what are its symptoms? He's going to give two. The first he's going to give in the form of a parable about a rich man. So let's read it. Verse 16. And he told them a parable. It's important to note a parable is not a literal event. It's a story with a point. Told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build, build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So was the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So here's a story that Jesus tells. It's about a man with some serious cash. Serious cash. If he's alive today, we have special banks for people like this. Me and him don't share the same banker. My banker, the teller at Bank of America, not his. We have different bankers. If he's alive today, he has a monthly meeting going over his complex and large portfolio. But there were no banks in his day. And while cash to crops is not a one-to-one parallel, there was significant overlap in their function. And so there's a question we need to ask, something we need to grapple with. What's wrong with what he's doing? I mean, the, the man is got serious cash, and now he's got more, and he needs a place to store it. And so what's wrong with him going, you know what, I'm just going to tear down the barns I have and build larger ones so that I can have more place to store the cash that I have? What's wrong? Because one commentator said this is simply good business practice. Building these barns would enable him to increase his net worth. What's wrong with that? What would be wrong with that? Why is this story a story that is a warning about greed? Well, the answer is in understanding the agricultural culture of the day. So I'm going to read to you from one commentator. He said, what is good business practice for this wealthy farmer has detrimental consequences for the peasants who are his neighbors. His decision to hold back his produce will reflect harmfully on the regional economy. It will at the same time secure his economic power and position of status as others are made more and more dependent on him. Given the agricultural economy of the peasant population surrounding him, this need for increased personal storage space, not directly related to his agricultural activity, 
must have seemed odd in the extreme, if not utterly monstrous. Daryl Bach, one of the foremost scholars on the book of Luke, said he has, of the rich man, he has morally mismanaged his wealth, giving no thought to the needs of others. See, what's, what's wrong with this scene is that he is already rich, and he gives no thought to the poor, only to how to get richer. See, the problem is not that he is not, is that he, the problem is not that he is rich. The problem is that in his wealth, he doesn't think of others in need. See, Jesus does not tell a story about a rich man and then make the point, um, and the problem is that he had a barn in the first place. Jesus' point to the story is not he should have never had the first barn. Jesus' point in this story is that he was a man consumed with his net worth without being concerned with the needs of others. And there's the point of the story. There's the first symptom. Being consumed with our net worth. Being consumed with our bank account without being concerned with the needs of those around us. And listen, we, we need to have an honest conversation. Because in our city, the, the locale where we live, the location where we live, it is uniquely hard to see this as a problem. It is uniquely hard to see that what Jesus might, keyword might, call greed, we often call work ethic, ambition, drive. What Jesus might call greed, we call simply being a three or an eight on the Enneagram. If you don't know what the Enneagram is, your life is okay, I promise. <laughs> Why highlight those? Those are my numbers. preaching this sermon myself. When Jesus might look into our life and say, that is greed, we might say, ambition, drive, achievement. When Jesus might say, uh, that is greed, we might simply say, it's a need. But if this is a story with a point... What is the point Jesus is trying to make with this story? Here's the point he's trying to make. All that you store up is one day going to be someone else's inheritance. And giving your life over to someone else's inheritance is not simply foolish, it is eternally dangerous. It has eternal consequences. Because listen to me, there is going to be a day there is going to be a day when you die and your bank account goes right back to zero. And what are you left with then? This is the point Jesus is making. Here's the first symptom. These are sobering words from Jesus. We have said it before, we will say it again, Jesus is not trying to make your life easier. You will not open up any of the Gospels, any page on Scripture, and see Jesus saying, let me tell you what, I am here just to simplify your life. Go, go do it. 
Whatever your heart desires, whatever your passions are, just go for it. He's trying to lay down ethics of his kingdom and say, go live as my people. And living as my people will always run counter to the culture that we live in, and that is difficult. It is difficult. Here's the first symptom. Building a bank account without thinking of the needs of anyone else around you. But this is not the only symptom, because now he's going to turn to the disciples. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Before I tell you, disciples, life is more than food. It's more than your clothing, but I want to zero in on a phrase. I want to zero in on a phrase that Jesus used, and it's this one. Therefore, I tell you. Disciples, therefore. Here's a story about the rich man. Therefore, I tell you. Therefore, I tell you. Here's the point. The story about the rich man is not simply for the guy in the crowd, disciples. It's for you. Why? The rich man's issue is your issue. The deeper heart issue of the rich man is your issue as well. The man built a barn, had an issue. You have the same. doesn't look the same for building. His is building a barn. Yours is worrying about tomorrow, which I'll explain in a minute that they are both symptoms of greed. But now Jesus gives word pictures. And he gives word pictures to get what he said to sink in. Remember, Jesus is a teacher trying to sink in what he had to say. Not always trying to give a theological treaty on something. Sometimes he's just trying to use visualization with some background to it, but visualization visualization to go, let's have this sink into you, disciples. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small, as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So we give some word pictures. Picture one, the ravens. Ravens were, uh, in the Old Testament, identified as an animal that's unclean. Clean meant to be acceptable to God. Unclean meant unacceptable to God. And he's saying that even that which God rejects, he feeds Look at the generosity of God that He would even feed the ravens. Why are you, why, why, why are you worried? Why would you worry? And then the lilies and the grass, grass being a common image, uh, image for the brevity of life. He's saying, listen, life is short. Worry is not going to lengthen it. Worry is not going to lengthen your life. You can worry all you want to about tomorrow, and it's not going to expand the extent of your life. Are you worried? And now he goes back to drilling the point in verse 29. And do not seek. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. 
To seek is to set your heart on something, to think about it, to, to worry about it, to uh, work on it all of the time. And verse 30, I think, is an important text for us to see in the thread of what Jesus here has to say. He's making a statement about what it means to follow Him. That when you see nations, think peoples of the world, think those, those peoples who are not my followers, those outside of my community. He's saying the people outside my community, let me tell you what they're consumed with. They are consumed with financial security. My people are consumed with trust. My people consumed with trust. But I want us to notice something. I wanted to move through this statement, uh, this section from Jesus to his disciples, because I, I, I didn't want us to miss this point. Nowhere in here does he say that the disciples are worrying or that they are anxious. He simply turned to them and said, um, hey, when, when you worry, do, do not be anxious. Consider the ravens. He didn't say, right now, listen, I know some of you are consumed with this worry. I, I know that this is a present reality in some of you, and so he didn't say that. So why? Why would he say it like this? Why would he simply turn to them in the way that he turned to them? I think the answer is this, that he knows that this is a natural propensity of the human heart. Jesus knows that Genesis 3 has affected all of humanity. And what happened in Genesis 3? In Genesis 3, there was a failure to trust God and his care for them. And when you don't trust God and his ability or willingness to care for you, you're going to make the gap up yourself. You're going to make that gap up with drive and ambition and building a new barn, building that bank account, or, or you're going to make up that gap with worry. But you're going to fill the gap somehow. At its root, it's a fundamental lack of trust in God to care for you, and if you lack that trust, you're going to fill the trust gap somehow. It's going to be bigger barn, bigger barn, bigger barn, or it's going to be anxiety over tomorrow, but you are going to fill that gap somehow. He's saying to his disciples that his problem is your problem. He just had the means to build the bigger barn for it. You don't have those means, so you worry. Which is to say, greed is not isolated to the rich. Greed is not the rich man's problem. Greed is a human problem. It's a heart problem. It has made its way into all of us. And so now Jesus is going to give three treatments. How do we deal with it? What do we do about it? If it's natural to everyone, if it's fundamental to everyone, what do we do about it? Three action items, three treatments to dealing with this hidden cancer. Here they are. Verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom. Seek His kingdom. Be consumed with Jesus and His redemptive, restorative work in the world and see your money through that lens. Instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. 
Listen to me. I'm going to walk through three things here, but I want to start by telling you this. If we're going to take the words of Jesus seriously, it is going to clash with, a lot of, with the way a lot of us see the world. It is going to clash with how a lot of us see the world. Treatment one, that I'm going to give it to you. Treatment one, fight greed with generosity. Fight natural habits of greed with unnatural habits of generosity. Listen to me. When he said, sell your possessions, did you catch that? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Hey, my, my people, my disciples, those who want to follow me, for the record, me being Jesus, sell your possessions and give to the needy. To understand that, we've got to put ourselves in their shoes. This is from Tim Keller. Keep in mind, people didn't have money in banks. You didn't have savings. You didn't have investments. People had income in the sense that they had currency. They had coins. But where was their accumulated wealth? What was their, where was their capital? It was their possessions. It was their homes. It was their fields. It was their furnishings. Here's what Jesus is saying. I call you not simply to give a little bit out of your regular income and currency to others. I call you to be willing to dip into your savings. I call you to be willing to dip into your investments. I call you to be willing to give radically, dipping into your actual capital and lowering your net worth. Giving away to other people, giving away to the poor, giving away to friends, giving away to ministry, giving away at that level. If you can't, money is too important for you. Fight greed by giving to those in need. There is an economy. There is an economy to Jesus' kingdom. And in the economy of Jesus' kingdom, the poor are not treated as outsiders who are a burden to society, but as insiders whom you are willing to lower your net worth for in order to raise theirs. I know how unpopular that is. But what kind of world would we have if that were the way we lived? Keep in mind, this is not Jesus saying, if your bonus comes through, if your investment portfolio outperforms expectations. This is Jesus saying, be willing to sell your goods for the good of someone else. Action item one, treatment one, fight greed with generosity. Treatment two, apply the gospel, the inheritance of the gospel to your fears. See, before Jesus said, give away your possessions, he said, fear not, little flock. Fear not. Fear not. If you're not willing to give, it's worth asking, what are you afraid of? If you're not willing to give generously to those around you, to those in need, it's worth asking the question, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What fear is cultivating greed and drowning generosity in your life? And not only what are you afraid of, but how do we deal with that? How do we deal with those fears? What do we do about those fears? The answer is that we embrace 
we embrace the beauty and the riches of the inheritance that is to come. Same word inheritance, Ephesians 1, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, inheritance, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You deal with it by actualizing the inheritance to come today. By, by embracing, by embracing the open-handed life today that comes with seeing and believing an inheritance that is to come. You see, there's there, there's a historian's question. As we travel through Luke, we hit a new, this might cost you. The historian's question is this. Jesus has said he might cost you your family. Jesus has said he might cost you your social status. And now he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to cost you some money. If Jesus might cost you family, might cost you social status, and is going to cost you money, the historian's question is, why in the world would anybody have believed this? Why would anyone have believed it unless the inheritance is worth it? Unless the inheritance is worth it, why would anyone have believed this? But that's not all. There is a third treatment to dealing with uprooting any and all greed in our life, and it's verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to uproot greed in your life? Make Jesus your treasure. But for Jesus to be your treasure, here's what you have to see. You have to see that you are His. You have to see that you're His. You have to embrace Him as yours, and you have to know that He embraces you as His. You have to know that when He went to the cross and He died, it wasn't simply because He needed you, it's because He wanted you. You have to know that, that you are His treasure. The fear of not having enough can be swallowed up by the inheritance to come when He is your treasure because you see that you are His. You're His. When that happens, your, your hands all of a sudden can become more open around earthly treasure because you see that you've got an eternal one that is far superior. Far superior to that one. Now, I, I want to say this. I want to land the plane with this to us. I think that our church, our community, I think that you are exceptionally generous. I, I know that there are varying degrees of wrestle with greed among our church and you. As a whole, though, I think we are beautifully, beautifully sacrificial. We, we, we give at rates that are unbelievable, and we don't complain about it. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch how open your hands are with your money, with your possessions. It is beautiful to see. It is one of the things that is most encouraging to me about our community. But I do think that we still need to heed the words of Jesus to be on guard. Be on guard. Be on guard. Let's keep rooting out even the slightest amount. Let's, let's keep finding ways to take what might be in nugget form and invisible and pull it out and make it visible and talk about it. Let's get it out in the open because if we don't, if we don't, five years from now, ten years from now, we might be having an entirely different conversation around the word greed. 
Let's continue being a community who fights at greed with the treatment Jesus has given. Let's continue being a sacrificially generous community. Sacrificially generous, saying to ourselves, to one another, to those around us that we have a greater inheritance than any 401k can offer. Let's keep living like it. Let's keep rooting out even the smallest amount and in all of its forms. Let's keep being that kind of people Fighting this might save some of your lives, and it might save our community. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Luke and the gospel of Luke. Thank you for the spirit-inspired words that are in there. Thank you for Jesus' honest confrontation around greed. Thank you for his honest statements. I pray that we would hear them. I pray that we would receive them. I pray that we wouldn't run from them, but we would let the words of Jesus press in and expose any and all form, any and all amount of greed sitting inside of our lives. And would we be a community who really does embrace and really does believe that we have this inheritance to come far superior to any... Would we see Jesus as more important than our cash? Would we see the needs of those around us more important than our savings account? Would, would we who are Americans recognize that disposable income is an American term and would we dispose it to those in need? Make us this kind of people. And where Jesus' teaching on money and greed really clashes with how we see the world, would we submit to his kingship and his lordship over all of our life, including our finances. It's a challenging word from Christ to our king. Would we receive it? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.